So when Gina and I first decided to move from the East Coast, to move from Boston to Los Angeles, um, I was a little worried about it, to be honest. Uh, I had visited Los Angeles. I enjoyed my visits here, but it's just, it seemed like a place that I would like to go in and out of for work, essentially. I didn't know what it was going to be like living here. And coming from such a food-centric family, such a food-centric city, I was concerned about what it would be like to eat in Los Angeles. And I thought to myself, what is it, right? Is it mostly Mexican food? Is it mostly tacos? Like, what are they serving in LA? Well, I was completely wrong with my thoughts because the food scene here in Los Angeles is insane. It's insane. Those of you who are listening that are living in Los Angeles, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody has their favorite taco spot. Everybody has their favorite uh, Vietnamese spot. There are amazing dumpling spots as you start to head out east, Los Angeles, east of me. Some of the dumplings out here I've had are fucking amazing. Oh my God. Thai food blew my mind. We were out here literally for like a week and I had some of the best Thai food that I've ever had in my life. The mixing pot that is LA and how these foods influence each other is incredibly fascinating to me. And the history, the heritage, the years, generations of folks learning how to slow cook meats, how to make meats fall apart, right? Are you wrapping them in banana leaves? Are you throwing them in stews? Why did you start this? Where did that come from? The history around food here in Los Angeles is fascinating. And I'm excited about today's episode because we're going to slightly touch upon a bit of the history behind where a specific Mexican dish comes from. We're going to talk a bit about what it's like to have authentic Mexican cuisine, Mexican tacos, street tacos. We're going to talk about the street food scene here, which is really cool. Let me just say, it's really cool. You get, start to get into East LA, you start to get into the Southeast LA, and you are, this is, okay, for many of you that are listening that aren't from Los Angeles, there's something that happens out here that you might find a bit strange. I know quite a few people that have come to visit me find it slightly off-putting at first. If you've watched any Anthony Bourdain shows, then you know what's up, because he was totally into this. Street food. It's a big deal out here. You'll find all sorts of different variation on street food vendors here in Los Angeles, ranging from like, you know, the most popular chef on television and on the internet, opening up food trucks and driving them around to studio backlots and feeding folks down to really uh, uh, heartwarming, cute old ladies running around with shopping carts and Bunsen burners under cookie sheets making fucking hot dogs and bacon in a, in, a, in, a, in a parking lot somewhere. It's fascinating. And there's this level of food safety, right? How do I know what places are safe to eat at? How do I know what places are, are going to be good? Um, and then when you look at these menus, the, the interesting thing about street vendors is they don't have or need as much startup capital as a restaurant would need, right? At that point, it's like the difference between doing independent films and the difference between shooting movies on your iPhone and going to an investor and going to a distributor 
and getting a certain amount of cash, right? When you start to get the big bucks, that comes with a lot more meddling. Your menu has to have fucking buffalo wings on it, right? Your menu has to have a cheeseburger on it. Your menu has to have things that the, the, the general masses can understand. So when they first peek at a menu, like so many of us do, when you go to a restaurant, you fucking scan it real quick and you go, what do I recognize? Oh, it has a Caesar salad on here. I know what that is. There's a steak on here. I know what that is, right? The bummer of that is that most places have all that shit. So when you travel across this country, and I hate to say it this way, a lot of the places in between the two coasts are just loaded with the safest food options you can possibly find. Most of the time delivered to you by some chain, right? Some fucking corporate chain that they're in the business of real estate somehow finding uh, those lots that are right off the highway. So they're always there, right? They just buy along the highways throughout this country. And so what's the difference between going into Boston and then going into Connecticut? You have to go further off the highways. And, and yes, there are great food spots, but you got to dig for them. And these people are dealing with overhead. So there's a lot of safe things on their menus. Well, bring it back to street food. What I like about street food is oftentimes the overhead is a little bit less. And so they can make things, they can make whatever the fuck they want, which I like. And oftentimes what they're doing is they're tapping into the type of food that they love, the type of food that they grew up eating, and the combinations of food that I've never had before. And when you think about it, we eat every day. If you're lucky, you're eating three times a day, every day for your whole fucking life. That's like tuning in and watching the same fucking baseball game every day. It blows my mind when I meet someone that's like, oh, I am a meat and potatoes man, right? What does that mean? You eat potatoes every day? You eat meat? You eat steak every day? You eat the same fucking thing? Like we have a friend that every day will have spaghetti and uh, canned sauce every day. What the fuck, dude? Sure, he eats other things. I don't want to call him out. I'm not going to say whose name is. But uh, what I like about Street Vendors, long story short, I'm on the rant here. Long story short is uh, it's all about experimenting with new foods. In today's episode, I'm pumped because I have one of the more popular, more creative taco places out there right now, the Goat Mafia on the show. So if you are an Instagram, look up the underscore underscore goat underscore mafia on Instagram. Um, and joining me is Juan Garcia, uh, one of the heads of it, one of the guys that started it. And uh, we talk about fucking slow braised goat. We talk about tacos. This episode is going to make you salivate. This episode is going to make you want to visit Los Angeles and go on a taco safari. You know how I do bar safaris? <laughs> Out here in Los Angeles, you would want to do a taco safari, which Gina and I did recently, and I posted on my Instagram account, at Mike Petchy on Instagram, or you can follow the podcast on Instagram, at Love With The Process POD on Instagram. But recently, Gina and I, I had a hankering for fucking tacos. And so we went out, we drove to one of the taco trucks that we know, and on the way home, we passed one of the, the epic taco stands, which is essentially a fold-out table uh, with uh, El Pastor 
Pabil, and uh, these guys fucking do it up. Two old ladies pressing fresh tortillas. <sighs> it's life-changing. It's life-changing. Those of you who are listening to the show and your idea of a taco is getting some hamburger meat and taco seasoning mix and getting whatever sort of branded shell tacos that come in a box wrapped in plastic, come to Los Angeles. You'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, for those of you who are out here in Los Angeles, you will know the Goat Mafia from Smorgasbord, which happens here on Sundays. Uh, if you head on over to the Smorgasbord, Smorgasbord, Jesus, I barely got that out, event here in LA, these guys are there. They have their spots set up. I know they're trying to get back into traveling around and serving for breweries and bars. That's the other thing I love about it out here is that a lot of bars will bring in a food truck or they'll set up uh, a little kitchenette area for these pop-up places for these taco vendors to come in and make food at different times of night. I love that about out here. Can you tell how excited I am about today's episode? And Juan and I get along instantly. I cannot wait to hang out with this dude. I cannot wait to go have home-brewed beers with this guy. And everything he talks about sounds so fucking delicious. So strap yourselves in. Get ready to hang out. We're going to talk the Goat Mafia on today's brand new food episode of In Love With The Process. Thanks for being on the show. I'm excited to chat with you, dude. Uh, thank you. Um, so uh, I'm really excited to get nerdy about tacos. I'm excited to get nerdy about the Goat Mafia. I'm excited to talk about your podcast. Um, so let's let's start at the beginning, dude. Um, okay. So how, why food? How'd you get into food? Like, where does where's it start for you? Um, I was hungry when I was a kid. <laughs> no, um... <laughs> Where do we start? So <clears throat> it was kind of like me being a smart ass with my mom. She would uh, do my eggs in the morning. And one day I just had an idea because she would put tomatoes on the eggs. Mm -hmm. And my idea was like, what if you saute the tomatoes first and then add the eggs? So I kind of just, you know, asked her that. And she was like, why don't you do it? <laughs> so that was kind of like the start. And, you know. I was dabbling, dabbling in food as a kid, just experimenting, doing things like that. 
Um, it didn't really hit me up until I want to say like 2005 ish. I saw an episode of Iron Chef and I couldn't believe that cooking was a thing or that it could be a thing. So that kind of planted the seed. And I started kind of honing on the skills and then eventually just, you know, went all out into it. So it was all about you being a smart ass. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's how it started. And I'm still a smart ass. That hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you, Iron Chef, huh? Do you remember what, the, what, what you were watching? Do you remember what the episode was? Mm, I don't remember who was a chef or those details, but I do remember they were deboning a fish and the way they did it was really quick. And the, like you can tell that there was like precision. There was like this second nature to it. Like they had, they do this in their sleep, you know. Yeah. And I was like, how do you get to that point? Yeah. 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 That's fascinating, and and that's kind of the same thing with filmmaking for me. You know, like where I'm like, uh, like I look at how these these guys seem to do the impossible. Uh, but they do it with their eyes closed, and it's just that repetition. It's that learning. It's that skill that uh, they get, right. where it becomes like playing an instrument. At that point, it becomes second language to you. you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, man. So, all right. So then you were inspired. You were smart ass. You were watching TV. <laughs> you know, you were inspired. So, what was the next step? Um, pretty much just party, man. Because out of high school, <laughs> like I didn't really connect anything. You know, like. I, I just, I was, the way I look at it now is like, I was a viewer and not a doer. Uh -huh. So, you know, I, I liked a bunch of stuff, but I never dared try it because I'm Mexican. I live in Compton and Mexicans that live in Compton aren't supposed to be anything. So, you know, I just, it was in the background. Uh, I moved out at 17. So I was actually cooking for my friends. Like my part, my house was a party house. Yeah. So I always had food. I always had beer. And I started building on those skills to eventually, like, I kind of chilled on the party. I stopped, you know, doing that. And I had a bunch of jobs. I was a plumber. Um, it wasn't until I met my wife where she kind of, like, you know, lit the fire under my ass and was like, you know, you got to do something. <laughs> so cooking was like, you know, like, I know how to cook. I just don't have nothing to back it up. So I decided to go to culinary school. Oh, nice. But prior to that, prior to that, I started a food truck just to kind of see, like, what it was like. And, you know, it just confirmed it for me. And, and I went to culinary school. And so that kind of was the beginning of, like, I guess, my professional life. So, wait, you started a food truck before you went to culinary school. What was that yeah, initial no. food truck like? What was that like? Uh, it was still, it, it was a Go Mafia. That was the actual beginning of the Go Mafia. Um, it was around the time that Roy Choi was actually doing his uh, Kogi truck. Right. So I, I basically copied his formula. I started uh, posting online where we were going to be set up and what was the menu and people showed up. Oh, fuck yeah, man. Yeah. That's cool. And and then why did you decide, because you had already started a food truck, why did you decide to go to culinary school? Was it to get more skills or was there something specific? It, one of, one of the reasons was to get more skills. The other reason was because my business partner at that time, uh, he was supposed to come down and you know be the other half of of that business, but he never did. So I was like running everything. I barely had any help. Mm -hmm. um, it was sometimes hard to just even get a cashier to help me out. So I decided to stop because of that, but use the time wisely and go to culinary. Oh, nice, nice. 
Was it was it a confidence thing for you? Or were you always confident that you could make good food, or did you need to go find some confidence by getting more training? Um, it's weird, man, because based on all the successes we've had right now, um, looking back at things, like everything that I've been good at, it's because I've been kind of cocky about it, and I know, like in my gut that I can do it, especially if someone says that I can't. Yeah. So when, when I started the food truck, everybody looked down on me like, Oh yeah. Right. Like what's, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. So it, it, it pushed me, but, um, I wanted to get something, you know, that would back me up, like, you know, like a diploma or something that says like, yeah, this guy can cook, you know, because I can scream into the world. I can cook, but you know, during that time, if you don't have nothing backing you up, you're, you're nobody. You're nothing, you know? Yeah. So I was just trying to go, like, through the process, I guess. Yeah. Dude, I, I had a very similar thing myself, too, where, you know, I decided that I wanted to get become a director and become a filmmaker. And my roots were, you know, I used to be a house painter. I was, like, a mechanic for a little while. So I came from that background initially. And, right. And when I, when I made that jump into doing filmmaking, I knew in my gut, and I, there was a level of cockiness, too, for me. Where I'm like, I can fucking do this, but I needed to have, I felt like I needed to sort of validate it the same way you did. And I think that yeah. that was one of the reasons why I went for a short period of time, went to film school before I was like, that's oh, too much fucking money. I'm out of here. But, uh, <laughs> you know, prior to that, I was like, oh, you know, I need this confidence. It was more for confidence for me than anything else. Yeah. You know, uh, but that. And it, it's, it didn't still like, you know, I, I, I kind of hate the role of like the victim. Like, I, I don't, I don't, like when people use this, you know, I mean, obviously they have valid reasons, but yeah, you know, I, I'm a minority. Like I told you uh, earlier, like I'm in Compton. Like if you're not a basketball player or a rapper, you're not on the map. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and I was like, you know, my goal, like my secret goal was like, you know, Compton has to be known for other things other than that, you know? So yeah, that was kind of like a driver. And, and, and I was hoping that I can kind of break that barrier and, you know, allow people through well it sounds like you know to fast forward it sounds like you have it sounds like what you guys are doing with goat mafia is like i i'm i still haven't been able to get down to have the food yet i'm fucking excited to hang out with you guys oh, come down and have this come down. food that you guys are doing uh because it looks great and then you know like just looking at the fact that like you were in bon appetit like just yeah. just the level of of growth and the speed of growth that you've had has been insane. When did you go? How long ago did you go to culinary school? I graduated in 2015. So I guess I started like late 2013. God, man. Wow. And then yeah. like five. So 2015. And then what? Five years later, you're in Bon Appetit. Is that, does that make sense? It was 2020. Yeah, but it was like, so I graduated at, at in 2015 and we got hired by the school. Yeah. Uh, they liked our work, so we continued as uh, instructional assistants, chef instructor, instructional assistants. We did that for like almost two years, and then, and I say we because my business partner Ivan, we were in culinary school together. That's where I met him. Uh huh. Um, so we worked there, and we were already trying to cater while we were working there, and then we got transferred to the child development center where we cooked for a hundred kids every day. Wow. And that was the beginning of what, you know, people know now as a go mafia because we had our first interview from uh, LA Taco during that time. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And that kind of like kicked off uh, 
people's interests. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, man. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, that's rad, man. And and, and so now um let's talk about let, let's talk about tacos. Let's talk about food. So where do your recipes come? Is this is this like family history? These family recipes? Like where like where are you getting your inspiration for the food you cook? Yeah, so the birria recipe is a family recipe. It goes back to about a hundred and I I can trace it back to about 110 years. Um, wow. My yeah, my grandmother's. Let me see, how do I how do I put this? My grandmother's stepdad, his grandfather, <laughs> uh, passed that recipe down. So like yeah, this was like late 1800s, something like that. Oh okay, hold, hold on. So for for like our. Our listeners that aren't familiar with uh, it's it's birria, right? Is that how you pronounce Bi- it? Birria. Birria. Okay, so what yeah. what is birria? So originally, it's it's pretty much a goat stew. You, uh, it, it could be a stew, it could be a braise, or a combination of of that and like dry heat, like roasted. Mm-hmm. So it could take any of those forms, but it, essentially, it has to be goat and a combination of dry chiles, and then the spices that. You know they're they're gonna vary person to person, but those are the essential ingredients, right? And then what are you just like slow stewing, like slow roasting the the goat? Yeah. So you typically marinate the meat for about twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. Then you, if you choose to do it in you know the brick ovens or the clay ovens, you roast it in there or braise it, whatever. Yeah. Oh, whatever way you want. Oh, it sounds so good. <laughs> Oh man, it it it, it is. <laughs> You're talking to such like a, a a a meat nerd. Like the, I've said this on other shows, but I feel like I have to catch you up on it. One of the things I do it takes fucking forever to make a movie. It takes forever to get a movie made. Um, and so in the interim, I love cooking and I barbecue and I smoke and I do all this stuff and I eat way too much. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, moving because I came from the East Coast and we moved out here to Los Angeles. I'd say about four months, five months before the pandemic. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, dude. So it was like, welcome to LA in your fucking apartment. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Um, and so since then, I've been like just breaking out and the food here is so fucking good. And I never really anticipated the level of quality and the different genres of food that that are in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. And of course, of course, tacos and street tacos like some of the best tacos I've ever had are like at a vendor on a foldout table in front of fucking like uh, Target out here. You know what yeah. I mean? Have you ever have you ever been to Mexico? Like no Mexico, no Tijuana. No, no, no. I haven't. I'd love to. Oh man, you're gonna die. So if if your mind is blown with the tacos here, over there they're like a ten, and here is like a six. <laughs> <laughs> like it messes it up for me every time we go. We go like about twice a year. Every time we go, I come back and like. Fuck, man, I wish the ingredients were better here, you know? <laughs> well, dude, it just fucking ruins everything. <laughs> dude, that happened to me when I went to Italy. So I'm Italian, Italian roots, all that bullshit. And I, yeah. I went to Italy, and I had the food there, and it was fucking mind-blowing. And it was simple, simple shit, you know, like very that, simple that's food. That's secret. And then I came back, and for weeks, I, I know this sounds, uh, this may sound shitty, but for weeks, I couldn't taste American food because because- <laughs> Their their uh, produce sucks here. Produce is the worst here in the U.S. Yeah. compared to anywhere else. 
It's like cookie cutter. Yeah, man. Oh, it's like waxy. And then yeah. maybe it's a slight <laughs> taste of pepper. And you're like, is this, what am I tasting right now? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yep. I get that. I totally get that. Yeah. That happened to me as well when uh, we went to Japan in 2017. Oh. And we had a Wagyu over there. And so when I came here, I didn't eat beef for like a year after. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> So, all right. So is it just the fact that the ingredients are better in Mexico that makes it a 10 or is, do they do it differently than they do it here? It, well, it, it is done differently. And it, like you pointed out, it's much simpler, but the ingredients speak, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything has w what it's supposed to taste like. It's the flavor of, you know, tomatoes are, you cut a tomato in the kitchen and you can smell it, you know, in the other room. You know, here you cut a tomato and nobody knows. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to put it, actually. <laughs> yeah. If you cut a tomato, did anybody else hear it? Was that <laughs> saying like the forest, if the tree falls? Tree falls in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, all right. Well, let's get back to your cooking. Let's get back to the stuff that you're excited about. One, one of the things that I find so fascinating about uh, just like Mexican food in general is is the amount of love and time and care that goes into making a lot of the taco meats, a lot of these uh, stewed meats. It just takes a long fucking time, right? Yeah, it does. So it, you, you must have to do like a, an ass load of prep. Like you must be like <laughs> yeah. deep in prep. Yeah. So like today is technically my day off. And then I start gearing up for Sunday, like starting tomorrow, tomorrow night, start, you know, gathering ingredients, start doing some light prep work, like maybe like the sauces and all that. But the birria process, I started like late Friday night, Ugh. all through Saturday, and then finally done Sunday. <laughs> And, so, yeah. and then when you look at what the price of the taco is, it's just like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. you know, that thing. That's, should... that's a battle that we have here. Everybody's used to the $1 taco and that's no more. You know, that was the nineties. Yeah. Um, you know, people don't want to pay $3, $4 for a taco, <clears throat> but you know, $4 barely cuts it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, besides the fact that everything's going up in price anyways, with the shipping issues that we've been yeah. dealing with. And inflation. So food, I went to the grocery store the other day and I walked out with like five bags and I felt like I had to put a down payment on a, you know, like I had to pull out a loan for the fucking thing, you know? Sold one of your kids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, man. So then at the end of the day, it's like with the amount of hours that you put into the amount of prep time, which essentially, yeah. it's essentially free work so that you can get to the point where you're selling tacos, you know? Yeah, it is. It is. And then, you know, that's what we were, I forget who I was talking to about this. Um, everybody sees like the the dish you put forward or the taco. Yeah. But they don't see like the 60 hours that you put in the week prior just to get to that point. And, and those hours are not paid, you know, at least I don't pay myself for that. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I love what I do. So that helps out. But sometimes, you know, Spectrum or AT&T doesn't take love as payment. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, dude. And, and look. There are parallels between what you do and what I do, man, because it's the same thing in the filmmaking world. Like fucking, I feel like 95% of the time that I work is unpaid. And it's that, it's that 5% yeah. of time where you're actually 
doing something and they're like, here's a paycheck. And when people hear about those paychecks, they go, oh my God, the amount of money you get paid. It's like, no, that was also to help pay for like, yeah. like the fucking seven years of unpaid work that went into All the debt you had to go into for whatever it is. You yeah, know? dude. Yeah, yeah dude. Yeah. And I, I could, I could only imagine because I started um, doing my own videos, like my own little cooking videos, trying to get the hang of recording because I, I don't know anything about technology. And you know, yeah, yeah. as, as you witnessed today, <laughs> I, I suck with tech. So I, I did, I did it with that purpose to learn how to film. Um, but man, like I've realized that for a one minute of film, like I have to record an hour and B-roll and all this yeah. stuff gets cut off and you think it looks good on camera, but once you see it on your desktop, it's like shit. You know? yeah, dude, yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's the same thing. It's just hours spent, it's time spent. And then it's just knowing, you know, knowing that you're, I, that's what this show's about. That's why the show's called In Love With The Process is that you have to be in love with all these little steps that are, you're going to get unpaid. Uh, you, you're going to lose them in the edit room. You know, it's just all that time yeah. that you need to learn the skills and prep the skills and bring all the different things together. And and I keep drawing parallels between movie making and, and, and chef work and cooking because it's the same, yeah. it's the same fucking thing on two different yeah. levels, you know? Uh, pretty much any any creative art you know anything like that it, it kind of has the same parallels you know it's just a different medium i guess but yeah it's pretty much the same <sighs> well let's get back into tacos like like so <laughs> all right so what else what else you guys cook like i am embarrassed to say because i've been trying to get down to see you guys and i haven't been able to do it before we did this show but i'm like going through your menu right now going jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we have it, we're known for birria. That's like you know what what got us in in the door. Yeah. Uh, but but we do a bunch of different other things. Um, you know we've we're known for our fish tacos as well. A lot of people don't know that. Oh. Um, we recently did a, a buñuelo type of taco, which is like a dessert style of a taco. Oh, cool. Um, you know we we do it all. We smoke. We whatever it is, you name it. We we'll do it. You know. We went to culinary school, so it's, you know, we have that ability to do so. But it just so happens that, like, birria was the thing that put us in the map, so we are like, you know, riding on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what What's your fish taco like? What do you guys, are you, do you guys do like a like a battered and fried kind of fish taco, or is it like a, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we, we, we batter it. Um, so we have a little partnership with uh, Sierra Nevada, the brewing company. Yeah. And they give us beer, so we use that beer on our batter. Nice. Um, even the birria, we use their imperial style on our birria right now. Nice. And we pickle our onions with their um, wild little thing. It's like a sour ale. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, so that's what we pickle our onions with. But, yeah, our, our fish taco is, is battered, and we use a pillow on the batter. We use blue corn tortilla, and then we put a mango pico de gallo. We drizzle it with, like, a chipotle crema. We put furikake. Um as a garnish and yeah there you go that's our fish taco dude it sounds amazing <laughs> oh, it sounds amazing yeah people uh, love it dude I, well i mean do you still love this shit i mean you're fucking cooking tacos every day you sick of tacos at I, this point no I'm, I'm not sick of tacos and then you know on top of that i have to cook for my family so <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's it's every day that i don't think there's a day i, I don't cook and even when i'm on vacation like i find a way to cook wherever it is that I'm at. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about that. 
do you find comfort in it still? Is it still a comforting thing for you? Yeah, it's it's almost like it's comforting, but it's also like uh, I'm I'm pushing almost to see if there's like some sort of discovery that I haven't yeah. you know had or like yeah. you know, I don't know, just messing with things, you know, putting things together, see what happens. Yeah, what are you upset? What are you curious about these days? What are you obsessed with? Um, I'm trying to get into fermented sauces and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. It's a- and, you know, I want to build a space for like my little laboratory to start doing that. I don't want to make a mess in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. The, the, the whole science behind fer- uh, fermentation is fascinating to me. I, yeah. I really haven't played with it yet. Um, just cause it just, it seems like it takes a, like a bunch of time that I haven't been able to associate with it yet. But, um, I've had like fermented hot sauces. I've had like, different fermented uh like chilies and stuff it's fascinating dude it's yeah it's really cool and if it goes wrong if it goes wrong there goes six months Okay, it is time to take a moment and talk about our sponsors, the men and women that help make this show possible. And I'm not just talking about you, the listener. You guys have a big part in it, though, because you guys have been telling your friends about the show, because you've been uh, educating your uh, peers about In Love With The Process. Our numbers have been going up. Our numbers consistently go up. And I'm not making this up. It blows my mind. I sign in and I look at the charts and I go, where the fuck did all this listenership just show up from? I love it. Big shout out to all you new listeners. Maybe you Goat Mafia fans that are coming over to learn more about what the dudes are about. Welcome. If you want to listen to more of our chef's episodes and you look at my queue and you're like, there's a lot of directors, there's a lot of filmmakers on here. Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There I've curated all my episodes based upon the subject material. So like if you want to listen to the chef's episodes, they're all up there. Directors, uh, uh, comic book artists. All that stuff is organized to make it easier for you. And it's a great place to go while you're listening to the current episode. Click on today's episode page, and I'll put up a bunch of supplemental material. It's a pain in the ass to put these pages together. So go on over there and check them out. You'll see pictures, you'll see videos, all sorts of stuff. Great shit to stare at when you're listening to us talk and drool over a microphone about tacos. All right, so first up, supporting the show, friends over at Puget Systems. If you're a content creator, if you're an independent filmmaker, if you're a podcaster, if you are a graphic designer and your machine, your computer isn't running the way you need it to, you need to buy a new computer. I highly suggest you look into buying a PC. PCs are cheaper. PCs are more customizable than the alternative. Um, And if you're going to buy a PC, don't go to one of those giant bullshit companies. I'm going to call them out. Dell sucks. They've always sucked, right? They're like one of the worst. And I know a lot of folks are like, well, I don't know how to build a PC. It scares me. Or maybe you're opening up a post-production company. 
I had one for quite some time. And a big issue that you run into is you need to build uh, edit systems or you need to build graphic design systems or 3D rendering systems with consistency. You have multiple rooms. You have editors that are going from room to room. They all need to communicate in one way or another. Why not talk to Puget Systems? Head on over to PugetSystems.com. There, you can build your PC based upon the software you use. These guys have amazing consultations. They love to talk to their customers. They want to know what it is that you're making. They want to know what it is that you're obsessed with. And they will help you build the perfect system. They will take the amount of money that you have to spend and tell you the best ways to do so. And what I love about Puget is that they're not making hardware themselves. They're not manufacturing hardware. They've done all the hard work for us. Benchmark testing, all the different graphics cards, motherboards, uh, hard drives, RAM, all this stuff. They benchmark test it with all the software that we use. So they'll be able to tell you what the right graphics card is and whether or not that new one is worth the fucking money for the software you're using. They're a fantastic resource. So if you're listening at your post-production facility, your color correction facility, head on over to Puget Systems and talk to those guys if you're going to upgrade. Just have a conversation with them and find out whether or not they can do something for you. And these guys are honest, completely honest. If they feel like they can't do something better than what you currently look at, they'll tell you. But I'm telling you, they will. They're too modest to say it, but they will. Head on over to PewDieSystems.com and check them out. Supporting our food episode today are our friends over at Dale Strong Knives. One of the most important things to have in your kit as an at-home cook or as a line cook or as a chef are good knives. If you work in the kitchen industry, if you've been trained for the kitchen industry, you know how essential these are. These will change the way you prep your food. They will change the speed in which you can prep your food and the safety in which you can prep your food because a dull knife leads to cutting yourself. Always does. Slipping on that fucking onion skin, fucking taking the top of your finger off. It's the worst. It really is the absolute worst. I cut myself the other day. It sucked. Um, so check out Dale Strong. I found these guys years ago. I ended up doing a bunch of ads with them. I ended up working with them. They're a great company, really down to earth. They've sponsored this show um, and they create really affordable, really cool design knives. All sorts of different types, all sorts of different shapes. Uh, and some of them are like ridiculously epic. Like if you wanna like unleash the inner Viking within yourself, head on over to Dale Strong and look around. There's some really cool shit. Um, I have a drawer full of these knives. I use multiple versions of the chef's knives every day, and they're completely affordable. Completely affordable. You'll be surprised for what you can get for under 100 bucks for a great chef's knife. And if you pick one up now, and you're trying to learn to cook, and you've been listening to our shows about cooking, it will change everything. The same way I talk about Jambox changing uh, the way your, your videos are going to look and sound, great knives will change the way your food looks and tastes telling you dale strong check them out speaking to jambox they're also supporting the show as well if you're a content creator if you're a podcast creator like today's guest is uh and you're looking for music you're looking for tracks that you can post under your episode that won't get your videos yanked down from youtube won't get them yanked down from instagram you need to find royalty free music or become best friends with an artist that gives you the rights to do it 
Most people don't have that. And the problem with a lot of royalty-free websites is that the music generally sucks. Let's be real. It just does. It always feels like the artist is like, I've got this extra folder full of tracks that I don't really care about. Let me just throw them on this royalty-free site and maybe someone will buy them and use them. That's what it feels like most of the time. And there's nothing worse than when you're working with a client, a commercial client, who doesn't budget for a composer, they don't budget for a musician, and they just go, yeah, music, go to a royalty-free website. And you're like, fuck, I spent so much time making this shit look good, and now I'm going to stamp this bullshit track underneath it. It's going to ruin the whole fucking piece. Do you notice the passion in which I said that? How many years of that bullshit do I have to deal with? Well, I found Jambox, and when I found them, my jaw dropped because their tracks are amazing. You can hear a track right now running out of the episode. Just their synthwave stuff alone sounds like it belongs with everything else I play on this show. And I couldn't figure it out. I was like, how the fuck did these guys do it? I did a whole episode. The guy that runs Jambox, go back and listen to it. Uh, and they have a whole different system. They actually hire their musicians. They actually craft the songs with their musicians, create albums worth of stuff that they sell on here. It's curated by humans, not by algorithms. That's why it sounds better. And the folks behind Jambox have been providing music and licensing music to Hollywood for years. They do music for all the Michael Bay trailers. So listen to the Ambulance trailer that just came out recently. They did the music for that. So if you want your stuff to sound as good as Michael Bay's movie trailers, go to jambox.io. They have such great packages up there. So if you're someone that is just a content creator and you're creating stuff for your uh, social media accounts, for your podcasts, uh, there's a 30-day free trial for their unlimited creator account, which is only $9.99 a month after that. Go sign up for the free trial right now. Go to jambox.io and sort through the music. Listen to the options. So as you're planning things, you know the kind of music that's available to you that you can fucking afford. If you're a student, they have a $6 per month thing. If you're a commercial director or someone that does wedding and corporate video, there's a $19.99 uh, per month with a seven-day free trial. There are free trials here. Go to jambox.io right now. And if you follow them on Instagram at jambox.io, send them a note. If you're using them, send them a note and say, I heard you on Mike's fucking show. It's important that they hear that you hear on the show. Okay. Uh, also supporting the show is our friends over at Vidafair. If you're creating content and you're trying to monetize it, eventually you're going to have to monetize this content. Do you, do you feel shitty at the end of the year when you do your taxes and you're like, how much did I actually fucking make this year? Right? And then you go back and you think about all those times that you uploaded shit for free on the internet. All those times that you just sort of gave stuff away that people like nonchalantly watched and they really weren't engrossed in because they didn't purchase it. Notice the difference between when you purchase something and when you just see some shit for free on the internet. There's an attention span difference there, right? So come around to the fact that eventually you can start charging for some of your stuff. Make some money back, make a living at it, and ask your fans. Do some polls. Find out. Your fans will pay for stuff. They love you. They will support you. So now the next question is, where do you host it? Where do you put it? Right? There are a bunch of different companies out there, a bunch of different websites that are looking at every opportunity to make as much money off your shit as possible. So you raise your prices, their fee goes up. 
What I like about Vitifair is it's completely not that. Super simple. You can upload a piece of content to their website for under six bucks and it could stay up there. And then you can change the prices that you're going to charge folks, but anywhere from nothing to 20 bucks. And it doesn't change how much they're charging you at Vitifair. Okay. Pretty cool shit. It's a great place to host your stuff. I'm going to try to get some stuff hosted up there soon. Head on over to vitifair.com and check out what, the, what it is that I'm talking about. All right. And last but not least, the friends over at ETC, ETC Lighting. If you're someone that's doing food lighting specifically, ETC has always made amazing Source 4 profiles. Those spotlights that you use to uh, actually with cookies and with uh, not barn doors, but the little shutters inside, you can actually redirect those spots to be so specific. I love those lights. And here's the great news. They've also changed the units that they're making. They're making movie lights now too. Not just stage lights, not just spotlights. They have their FOS uh, Fresnels, which I have. I love it. It's their FOS 4 Fresnel, I think is what it is. Uh, the output on that unit, it's a big light, all LED. And the output on that unit is like an 1800, like an HMI. It's fucking awesome. I can plug it into a wall and not worry about that circuit. You know what I mean? Super cool. But they also have such wonderfully calibrated lights. Um, and let me pull up while we're sitting here. Hold on. This is Mike not doing his shit. Stand by. Here we go. Do this read. A lot of us in the film industry have used the iconic Source 4 profiles on set. ETC, the maker of the Source 4, has been working hard in recent years to give us incredible new fixtures specifically for use with cameras. I got my hands on their FOS slash 4 Fresnel. Yes, I got it. Uh, and one of the most eye-catching aspects of this line of fixtures is the color mix. Their Luster X8 array includes deep red emitters, which not only open more color mixing options than you'll get with your traditional four studio fixture, so your traditional LED lights, um, but also lead to richer, more natural beams of light in any color point that you use. Once you see these fixtures on skin tones for yourself, it's truly surprising how much of a deep impact red makes on any situation on set. If you're not familiar with ETC, all their fixtures are backed by 24-7 customer support. See their FOS 4 Fresnel and panel for yourself by visiting etcconnect.com backslash love the process. You guys are asking me all the time, what kind of lights do I have in my kit? I have ETCs. Head on over there and see what it is that I'm talking about. And if you guys are doing like live shows and podcasts, they have such great uh, switching materials, live show stuff for lights, uh, like light boards. These guys are the leader on this shit. Head on over to ETC and see what I mean. All right, that's it. Back to the show. Is there like a is there another uh, genre or another nationality of food that you that you fucking love besides tacos and Mexican? Yeah, yeah. Um, I really like 
sashimi. Oh yeah. Um. So it's it's weird because I hate seafood here, mm-hmm. and I kind of like it in Mexico, but in Japan, it's like I live for it. So that's what I I really love that, and we're looking forward to going back over there to to go eat some more of that. <laughs> um, that, and then I I really want to get into like. Argentinian slash Spanish, uh, you know, tapas and like the way they grill, the way they do their meat. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in that. Like recently I, I went carnivore, so it's like meat is all I think about. Yeah. So, yeah. So very recently you went carnivore? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, as, as a cook, we kind of have bad um, diets because you know we're constantly like you know working and then we at the end of the night we just grab whatever yeah um so that started affecting my health i actually was diagnosed with diabetes high blood pressure yeah uh so i got rid of everything and just started eating meat and then i got rid of diabetes as well oh so the oh so you went on the strict meat diet and that helped yeah uh that's fat see i'm dealing with the same shit so like i I, like i've I've got high cholesterol and stuff and they're just like cut out cholesterol cut out that stuff but i've also heard that you can go the other way and you start to cut out all the carbs and stuff and still eat the meat and it somehow balances itself out yeah so i guess the idea is that like you know when you eat carbs like say like fries or chips yeah you're you know, you're also consuming a bunch of oil and oil is kind of like what's bad for you. Um, like animal fats are good, but the oil that we get like from canola or corn. Yeah. That, that, that contributes to uh, cholesterol and all that. Oh. So and, and there's a controversy there. You know, there's some doctors that are finally saying like, you know, um, meat is not bad for you. It was like a 70s type of propaganda, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Who knows? I'm I'm still alive, and you know I got rid of uh, diabetes and my blood pressure's on check. So nice, dude. You know, so <laughs> nice. Well, you never know. Like half the time you read an article, I'm like, all right, who's this sponsored by? Like who's, who's <laughs> like like yeah. who bought that doctor's boat that they drive around on the weekends? Yeah. You know, you never fucking know. Um, yeah, fucking big ass yacht brought to you by AstraZeneca. <laughs> <or something. laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh yeah well i mean it's the side because my cholesterol goes to the roof because I've, I've always come from a food family and, and so food has always been the center of the day and even yeah. if even if we go on vacation it's like all right so what are we eating today what are we eating tonight what are we eating tomorrow always thinking about like the kind of food that we're going to cook the kind of places that we go um i've just been obsessed with it and i i've talked on this show for quite some time about how it isn't just about flavors and eating and getting hungry and making yourself fat. It's also about the social experience and sh- right. sharing food with people and, and meeting new folks because of food, you know? Right. Do you feel the same way? Definitely. I think primarily for me, like when it comes to food, that's the number one thing. Like with our family, it's a big deal. Like when we ask, what are we eating tonight? It's like, oh shit, you know, we got to <laughs> sit down and talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got to figure this out because we don't want to be scrambling the last minute and then we get hangry and then yes. we're fucked, you know? Yes. Yeah. Hangry you know, is it, real. It brings people together. I, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what you're eating. If you're sharing, there's something about that, right? You're sharing food, you're, you're yeah. partaking, and then that social experience, like you get more out of it than just nutrition or, or you know, a bag of chips. Yeah. So, you know. 
Well, you There's something good about that. Yeah, and I'm kind of envious of you, man. As far as like being able to create your work and then hand deliver it to the audience, who are your customers, and then I'm sure you just witness people like like enjoying your work live in that moment while it's hot still. Like, do you get off yeah. on that? Do you do you like to see when people are just lost in your flavors? Yeah, it it, it makes our day, man. We've had like. This Sunday it was a terrible. I mean, it wasn't terrible. Um, my mother went to Mexico for you know vacation. Yeah, she's the one that's in charge of like making the tortillas. So we kind of had a line. Um, I take pride in saying that we never have lines, not because we suck, but because we take care of the customer within a minute or two. Yeah, yeah. So this Sunday, um, we were uh, you know a little bit behind, and we had a small line, and my son, who's twelve, was working the the plancha so he had a stressful day but when we look out i told him look outside look at all those people that are eating the stuff that you made mm. and look at their faces you know so it, it kind of helped him out and, and he got pumped again and we started you know working again and yeah that, that makes our day like obviously money is good but you know there's something about someone taking what you just created and then they destroyed by putting it in their mouth, you know, <laughs> but you know, there's like, you, you can see the gears turning, you know, like they're like, Oh, okay. He used this or they use that or, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cause you, because at that point you're telling a story and especially with tacos, this is something I've, I've really noticed out here because the thing across the country that really is depressing because before, let me go back. Before I moved out here, I did a lot of work where I was traveling all over the place. And you travel to all sorts of different aspects of this country. And every place you fucking go, it's the same Starbucks. It's the same corporate fucking chain. It's the same right. thing. And there are entire cities, entire uh, states that all they have are chains. And so right. to go, one of the reasons why I loved New York City so much when I was there was that uh, there was so many like privately owned, personally owned, individually owned like bodegas and restaurants and spots. And I'm, right. I'm feeling that even more here in Los Angeles where all the way down to like, you know, street foods and late night like vendors that set up. And, you know, even the ladies that are running around with shopping carts and like you know, like hot dogs being cooked yeah. on trays, <laughs> you, you know, it just, it's, it's feeling more personal. And at that level, when you bite into a taco, specifically tacos out here, when you bite into that, you you feel like you're starting to chew your way through like family experience, heritage. You're chewing your right. way through like a flavor experience, all that stuff. So when you're eating these things, it just makes it not only taste better, but it's it's like it's like watching a documentary at the same time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. And and what's crazy about that is that. This city, even though there's a bunch of street vendors, it's not that friendly for street vendors. Really? Um, yeah, the process to, you know, becoming legally able to sell food is, is just terrible. Like, you need to have a lot of money. Really? Um, yeah. Unless there's you find the loophole, which there are. Um, but, you know, they should allow people to, to vend legally so they can, you know, contribute with taxes. And so there could be a much safer environment to consume food. Yeah, because if you make it hard on vendors, they're gonna find a way to do shortcuts, and you might be consuming something that's not necessarily good for you, or because it's been sitting out, or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, 
but yeah it, it's true like when when you eat any food and not just uh, a taco like you are essentially experiencing something that was very close or approximate to how it was a century ago or two centuries ago what your great grandparents tasted you know yeah it's like we're, we're passing forward uh like a story it's like another form of storytelling that we're passing along and, and the more you experience that and you share that with people, the more they help uh, share that story. Yeah. I love that about it. And it, 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 it is, it's in the flavor. It's in the texture. I love, one of the things I love about great meat and, and cooking great meat is the texture of meat and the attention and the detail that is, that is really put into, uh, you know, the combination of textures. And this is something I think Vietnamese food really sort of like introduced me to that. Where yeah. when you get like a like a really good bowl of pho, and it has all the different angles, like you you might have tripe in there, you might have uh, like uh, like a top round or whatever, and they're just mixing these chewable textures, which adds to it. And and oh, yeah. I, I love that shit, man. It's like a whole, it, it's like a new special effect for a movie. You know? Have you had Have you had menudo? What is it? Menudo? No, what is this? So it's basically like the Mexican pho. <laughs> no, I haven't. It's, it's yeah, it's tripe, it's all the innards. Um and it's like a big bowl. Here they serve it red, but it, there's clear and red. Um and it's basically the same thing you get tripe, you get like, you know, um they call it cayo, which is like the knuckle of the the cow. Mm -hmm. Um all the stuff that people don't really eat. You, you get it in a bowl of menudo. Yeah. That's like the Mexican version. You can find it everywhere. There's spots everywhere. If you look for it, you, once you see it and you experience it, you're going to see it everywhere. <laughs> uh, dude, I'm going to try it, man. I'm into it. I'm totally you Definitely after, yeah. Oh, so cool. I love that about where we are. I mean, and okay, so I didn't know that it was very difficult to set up a, uh, a vendor, get a vendor license out here, which is surpri surprising to me. Cause we're, I live out here in Glendale, like right on the edge of like Eagle Rock, right in the edge of all that stuff. And, okay. and, and I feel like there's tons of fucking street vendors that are out and about in different places. Maybe they're not all legal. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah, no, definitely not. Um, they're, they're, you know, they're risking someone stopping by and ticketing them or dumping their food. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's, you know, you take a risk when you, when you decide to be a street vendor, you're going to take that risk and you understand that. You, you know, you're going to set out there. You're already 800 or $1,000 in, in the hole. Yeah. And if the inspector comes, you know, that's it. Yeah. You don't pay your workers. You don't pay yourself. And your food is in, in the trash. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy, man. So um, this is really great, man. I'm happy that we're talking about this stuff. And I, I really, you know, honestly, selfishly, I want to sit down with you and have tacos or have food with you. Let's do it. what I want to do. And I wanted to do that before we did the show, but we're going to do that after. Um, and some good beer. Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I know a bunch of uh, home brewers. I actually belong to a, a club, uh, Socal Cerveceros. Yeah. There's a bunch of home brewers, and, and the ex-president of the club found a way to uh, do licensing for home brewers so they can actually, you know, uh, come up with their own brew and be able to sell it legally oh, cool. and distribute it. Yeah. Oh, so I, cool. you know, yeah. Wow. All right. All right. So for home brewing, so what, what kind of beer do you really love these days? What are you drinking? I'm, I'm a big stout guy. 
Uh, stout is my go-to. Um, <laughs> stout's stout's pretty heavy, man. Stout's a heavy heavy beer. I, I love it, man. I'm a fucking whiskey guy, so I guess that's why, you know? <laughs> I love whiskey, um, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, blondes are great. Um, the beer, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, and sours. I like sours. Yeah. So, yeah. Those are the three, the three main ones. Oh, so you're not very subtle with your beer yeah. choices. I'm all over the map. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love beers, man. Ah, too many beers. It was, it was my one vice for too long. I just, I, I love the act of, of sitting down with somebody the same way that you get it when you're eating with someone, but there's something really great about sitting down, having a few yeah. beers and just, Something happens where, like, suddenly you might be standoffish. You sit down, you have some beers and some food. Next thing you know, you're talking about life. You're talking about yeah. that. You're talking about that girl that broke your fucking heart when you were a kid. You know, and you're you're just deep in it, man. You know, yeah, it loosens you, and you know, it kind of takes you back to when you didn't have any stress. Yeah, you know, it kind of numbs that for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, man. <laughs> really cool well let's yeah. let's let's transition a little bit here because we can okay we can get lost in the romance of all this um <clears throat> so you guys started doing a podcast right so what is it the quickie what is it food quickie podcast is food that quickie it? yeah nice. so you know i i decided to add a task to my long ass list of tasks <laughs> <laughs> yeah it sounds like it um yeah and then i just kind of we were already uh partnered with sierra Nevada, so i just pitched it to them and said hey you know would you like to sponsor us and then we're gonna have um other cooks and brewers and do like recipe videos etc nice so they were like yeah you know do it so they funded the uh the podcast um and i'm here struggling to <laughs> get it going but <laughs> you know we're we're doing it so as if you so, didn't yeah. as if you didn't have enough stuff to do at this point yeah, i'm telling you i don't know why i did it but i did it <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it's fascinating now because it seems it seems like in order to be uh, a success in the food industry, at least at the level where you're making buku bucks, you have to somehow be in media at the same time. Whether it's you know you're on Instagram and you're just posting a bunch of shit, or if you're uh, you know uh, trying to become a celebrity chef and you're on different programs and on shows, and uh, it is definitely a path that a lot of uh, cooks and chefs have to go these days to get, you know, the big, yeah. camp, you know, and I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't do it for that reason. Um, to be honest with you, I never pictured us being where we're at right now. My only goal was to kind of immortalize our video recipe and then have it live on because when my father, before my father passed, he wanted to pass that recipe on to somebody uh -huh. and I took it upon myself to, to learn it and to do that. So, yeah, yeah. so, you know, where we're at right now, it's just like extra, you know, it's bonus. And I like every aspect of the food industry. I, I like cooking. I like talking about food. I like showing people what I see as, as a cook. I don't know if they're going to see it that way, but I, you know, the, the romantic side of me likes to think that I can share something and they're going to see and feel what I, what I see and feel, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, dude. I feel the same way. Yeah. I feel the same way. Like, we have life experiences. We 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 go through something, and then I like you're trying to translate that life experience through flavor, through texture, and through all that. And I oftentimes am trying to translate that life experience through light, through sound, and through all that kind of stuff. But it's the same thing, man. Like, yeah, you know, sit like if you and I sat down together, 
had a meal together somewhere and we were so fucking blown away by it. It'd be so interesting to see the two techniques or the two different roads that you and I would take to try to translate that that emotion that we felt to an audience. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know? It's exactly the same. Yeah. It's fucking fascinating shit, man. So when you got this recipe from your dad, when did you were you were you uh interested in in and and carrying this tradition before you knew he was passing or, or was it something that happened through the process of, of him passing no so around the time that um that he was sick um it, it was almost around the same time that I had seen that episode when in iron chef so when he we, he was pretty much in his deathbed and he was telling my sister if I get out of this I'm going to make sure that I teach you how to make birria so that, you know, you can pass that on. Wow. Um, he never made it out. So, you know, a year passed and I remember that and I asked my mom, like, hey, he wanted, you know, for us to learn how to make birria. Do you have the recipe? And she had it. So I used my family as guinea pigs and I started to kind of like experiment and then try to do that wow. until I finally got it. And I was able to, you know, kind of share. You know, I started cooking for family parties, and it kind of slowly went into something bigger. Oh, wild, dude! You're very yeah. lucky. You're very lucky that you had the recipe kicking around at that point. Then, wow, man, you don't know. Every day that I'm alive, I I say the same thing to myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it has brought me so much, like life lessons. Um, has given me a lot and it continues giving me like I'm even though I know how to make it every day it teaches me something different every time I make it, it I learn something different yeah so you know I'm very blessed in, in that sense oh and it's it's got such great emotional context for you and then you feel that sense of responsibility which is interesting um, yeah, yeah you know do you feel like you can't do you feel like you can't explore too much with it because you don't want to taint the original recipe? Or are you? Oh, I'm fucking around with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already fucking it up. Shit. I'm more adding beer to it. <laughs> That's good, Dad. That's good. Yeah. Like my mom the other day, she was like, because, okay, so the recipe calls for a bunch of garlic cloves to for you to drop on the pot once uh -huh. everything's ready and you're about to cook it. Uh -huh. So, you know. I went to culinary school, so why not make it easier? Um, you know, instead of dropping garlic cloves into the pot, I could blend it in with the adobo as it's already on there and the meat takes on it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she found out and she was like, that's not how the recipe goes. <laughs> I was like, I know, but like logically, like this makes more sense. Like you're actually, you know, putting more flavor in it, blah, blah, blah. She didn't care. <laughs> so that's not how the recipe goes like are you sure you've been doing it like that that's what people are tasting i'm like <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah dude i see a lot of parallels so i'm obsessed with barbecue i've been obsessed with like smoking meats and doing that stuff for a long time and i've had a lot of barbecue dudes on the show and a lot of pit masters and uh, and I've i've tasted barbecue across the country and i feel like that genre is very similar with like the, a lot of the old timers where it's like, there's a fucking right. system, salt and pepper on the fucking beef ribs. Don't do anything else. And, yeah. and so for quite some time, I get it. Like you're trying to hold on to that tradition. It's all, it's like you're trying, you're putting your hands up and trying to keep away the tidal wave of change on this thing. But some of the most exciting barbecue that I've had are in places like New York city where they're really fucking with it. 
and they're just like, what if we do Indian spices on this? And what if we change this? Yeah. And the idea of like, uh, you know, slowly uh, pickling and, and pastraming like uh, beef ribs. And you're like, oh, wow, holy fuck. That's a, such a fascinating process. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So the exploration, I think, is important for food. It is. It's so th there's um, two extremes here in, in LA. Um, if you ask anybody that lives here about birria, they're going to tell you birria, it's like a beef, you know, taco that you dunk into a cup. Yeah. Um, and they consider me the purist, which, you know, I don't really see myself that way. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to preserve like the traditional way of making video, which is with goat, but I'm using that as the foundation. I'm also adding other stuff or taking away other stuff, depending on what I'm doing. Like I'm messing with the recipes, not a hundred percent traditional because I'm doing other things to it, but the base is a hundred percent, you know? Yeah. 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 So, so like when, like you said, like when you're smoking meat and you're adding spices from another country, the process is essentially still the traditional process. You're just, you know, highlighting it in, in a different way or, you know, showcasing something else. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure, man. Like you don't want to, you don't want to be a painter that paints by numbers. You know what I mean? You don't want to, yeah. you don't want to like inherit some fucking cheat sheet from your, from your parents and go, okay, what am I doing today? All right. I put this on and I do this and I do that. Th then you're a fucking robot at that point. You know, yeah. like yeah. the, the ability to, to, to know the techniques that have been established for, for generations at this point, the techniques on how to like get that, that meat, to pull apart to the right consistency, all those things. It's like I said earlier, it's, it's learning those instruments. It's learning how to play guitar really well. It's learning how uh, to, to, to lead with drums and then having a jazz session within those basics uh, right. to create something that makes you feel good as the person making it. Yeah. You know, yep. which in turn then makes it taste fucking better. There's nothing worse than having someone with full anxiety who's screaming and yelling hand you a fucking plate. I don't, <laughs> I don't care how good that plate is. It still tastes like all the bullshit that was going on in the kitchen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It reflects everything. Yeah, dude. Yeah. That's how I, you know, when I start prepping for video, like I set the tone, uh, you know, <laughs> Like almost like if I'm making love to this shit, um, you know, I put certain type of music, dude, you know, dim the really? lights, <laughs> you know. But it's to get me in that mood, like, and it, and it reminds me of when my dad would cook, when my grandfather would cook. You know, it brings, I channel all that, you know, and and I use it, and I, I try to honor them when I'm making the beer, even though I'm bastardizing it by putting fucking beer and shit. But you know, like it, it's in their honor, and you know that translates into the food like people can taste that yeah for you know, sure I'll, I'll scream at my workers later but the food <laughs> is done with love you know <laughs> i love that it's like it's <laughs> it's like what kind of music are you playing is that all tradition like what what are you playing what's the mood so tell me yeah, what so the if i'm like really thinking about my father or my grandfather i i do like rancheras you know like spanish rancheras like love yeah. love songs and you know um, if I'm feeling a little bit rebellious, I'm <laughs> fucking, you know, slip knot or <laughs> tool, you know, <laughs> um, you know, but you know, it just depends. You know, if I want to get shit done, I, I put on harder, faster music. Yeah, dude. Well, dude, 
uh, you and I would get along. I spent years doing metal videos and, and uh, directing that stuff. And I know I saw. And I just saw Tool like uh, a couple weeks ago. Don't tell me. Yeah, dude, I was lucky to go, man. It's lucky to go. Uh, it was weird. It was weird seeing Tool because a lot of the folks that are listening to Tool now are middle aged. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So like, you know, they're going and it's just like, you know, it's tool, you know, it's slightly yeah. aggressive. And these people are just like, yeah, man, you know, and like Maynard's <laughs> backstage, he's like, I'm out of breath. Yeah. Just like, God. Uh, half the crowd has white new balances. Yeah. And <laughs> dockers. Yeah. It was wild. It was wild, but they still put on a fucking show, man. And you want to talk about oh, yeah. mood and creating a tone and creating mood? Fuck yeah, dude. Oh. Yeah, Tool, Tool has always put on a great show. The last time I saw him was in 2014 or 15 here in LA. Yeah. Um, and, But I always compare their show with uh, Muse. Oh. Muse has like yeah. great optics too. And, you know, I, I love it. Yeah, dude. That's cool, man. It's really fucking <sighs> There's a lot to love about Los Angeles. The fact that there's so much great stuff here. It's really good food, really good entertainment, good concert venues, uh, fucking great movie theaters. You ever go to movies? You ever go to theaters still? Uh, Pre-pandemic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then like now it's like everything's streaming, so we, we stream everything right now. Yeah. I, but I, I can't wait for there to be like the time when it's like, you know, I hate saying this, back to normal, you know, but. Sure, sure. You, you know, when you don't got to worry about shit. Dude, we were saying the same, me and my girlfriend were saying the same thing. Like, uh, we've always been very social people. And so when we were back on the East Coast, we lived in Boston for, for 20 years. I would do epic Halloween parties with like 60 plus fucking people and like full wow. themed and like designed out. And then I do giant barbecues where like I invite folks over and we try out different things and and uh, we've had like small little things that feel like that. But we yeah. haven't had that fucking, you know, like that big event where everybody feels safe and you just come around and it's like, here's a cutting board with a bunch of shit on it. Help yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm fucking dying for that right now. Yeah, same here. Same here. Before, Right before the pandemic, we had an idea to um, do like a menu just – all on fire like everything's gonna be on like live fire like it's gonna be oh. there for people to see um it's gonna be a huge table everybody's sitting next to each other you don't know everybody and you're gonna get to know them oh and we're just gonna be carving out like whole animals and just putting them in the middle of the table awesome have people yeah that was the idea then pandemic hit obviously that stopped but Ugh. we i'm planning it now again i'm already talking to somebody that's gonna help me do it so it, it might happen like summer this year, so that's what we're pushing for. Uh, well, whatever, uh, whoever I have to kill to be a part of that, let me know. <laughs> well, if you want to kill someone, go ahead, but you're invited anyway. So. <laughs> I won't say anything. Oh, great. Make me sound like an <laughs> asshole. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> oh, man. oh, dude, this has been fucking great. This has been a really oh. good podcast, man. Yeah, same here, man. I'm enjoying it. Um, let me see before because we're we're getting to the point where I should wrap this out. Okay. And, and uh, you know what? I want to wrap this up because I want to do a separate little segment with you. How are you on time? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm. I'm good. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, well, as we get to the end of this episode, um, let's say this. Let's say that uh, you're someone that is unfamiliar, or because there are so many people. 
when I talk to folks back at home, right? So I talk to people back on the East Coast, street vendors really isn't a thing there because they really crack down on that stuff, especially in like Boston. And so it really isn't an option. And so I think if a lot of folks from different parts of the country look at what they're doing here in Los Angeles and they will drive by and they'll see like a fold out table and like little like plastic chairs in a parking lot of of like a fucking target, they'd be, they would immediately go, Oh, that's probably like some sort of health code violation. They'd feel yeah. they'd feel put off by that. Um yeah. as opposed to myself, which is like, this is fucking exciting. Like, what are we getting into? <laughs> um, so I would ask you this for for someone that's coming into this world of street vending and and street tacos and that kind of stuff, is and and then reading things on the menu that are odd to them, that are awkward to them, what do you think is the most exciting thing to get on the street for food right now? Um, that, uh, as a food vendor right now, I mean, tacos are king right now. Um, I am starting to see like Asian influence on a bunch of, uh, spots, mm -hmm. but I think uh, it's kind of hard. It's really kind of hard because if I tell you a vendor, he might not be there <laughs> next week. You know, <laughs> that's, that's what I love about it. Yeah, so it's kind of hard, but I think, like I told you, like menudo. If you want to try menudo, you can try that in the streets now. Yeah, um, I'm down. Yeah, so that's that. a tripe and all that. Um, if you're adventurous, if you're, you know, texture is a thing for you, and you get turned off. Um, McDonald's are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, I say, just go for it, man. Uh, you know. Pedal to the metal, whatever you see, just fucking do it. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's going to be an experience. Even if it's a bad one, it's going to be a good, bad experience. I guarantee it. I agree. And I always say this, but like, I've been with folks that are very timid and they've been the opposite where they're like, I don't know, is it safe? I'm like, there's a line full of fucking people eating their food. So if all those people got food poisoning, this place would not fucking exist. So, yeah, so like, the key, the key to that is, is this, um, if you see a food vendor and they have water, whether it be in a bucket, whatever it is, they have soap. That's a good sign. They're yeah. washing their hands. As long as a person that's handling the money is not handling your tortillas, that's a good sign. Yeah. And if it's being cooked like right in front of you, you got nothing to worry about. That fire is going to kill everything. Yeah. So <laughs> you're, you're good. And then if you put hot sauce, that's a, you know, insurance. <laughs> Yeah, you'll be good. <laughs> well, awesome, man. Like, Juan, this has been great. Um, thank you. Great conversation. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show, dude. Uh, thank you for having me. There it is. <laughs> I had a blast talking to Juan. Mm, can't wait to hang out with this dude. He's like one of those guys. Did you feel it while we were all hanging out? Did you feel it? he's that guy that you want to have beers with? He's that guy that when you're at a place, he gets up and goes over to the grill and he's working the fucking grill. He's got a beer. He's got a lot of fun stories to talk about. He's got that low chuckle, that evil laugh. <coughs> Excuse me. That I have. I love that. <laughs> um, Yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I did. We drooling. How many of you want to come out to Los Angeles? How many of you want to come out to visit now? Send me a note on Instagram. Tell me what your favorite taco place in LA is. What is your favorite street tacos? What is your favorite taco menu? 
What is your favorite? Send me a message on Instagram right now. Let me know what you think. And um, do me a favor. Uh, make sure you follow the Goat Mafia. Check out their podcast, Food Quickie Podcast. I know they're just trying to put it together. Um, I'm going to try to go on their show. I, th I, I offered it to them. So we'll see if I go over and end up being a guest. If I do, I'll let you guys know. Um, and uh, yeah, man, another great food episode in the can. Are you guys seeing why I do them? Do you understand the passion, the emotional connection? Everything that we talk about with food can be applied to filmmaking, can be applied to any of your art forms, right? Especially like talking about heritage and history. That's a big thing, especially in film right now, especially in a industry that is trying to, to get more voices on screen, different voices on screen, tapping back into that heritage, tapping back into your history. And sometimes to get a great idea for a movie, you might just have to go have a taco, you know? So hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I sure as fuck did. There are plenty more on the way. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to draw this out. I'm not going to do a big one. Like, let's play a good track. Let's find a good track. Let's cue it up. Thank you for listening. And uh, as always, I'll see you next uh, Tuesday. Do you know what it feels like to be a black person, to be a Congress lady, huh? to be a lieutenant doctor with 12 doctor's degree and driving down the street and hear the police siren and you start squeezing that steering wheel tight and they pass by you and you think, Perfect lifetime, closer to the screen, fake light, this is sun.
sunshine, sunshine, moonshine, starshine, in the light. Took a while to get it right. Why the smile? Cause the fight got me so low, so long. Now I love it, boy. Watching hard times pass by, walking in my joy. No.